am so sorry, Emily. Miss Jones! I'm so sorry. Traffic? No, I don't know what happened. I was chatting with my friend on WhatsApp, and she sends me a link to this crazy video of a cat driving a tractor in Texas or something. Have you seen this? No. Yeah, sorry. Next thing I know, I'm leaving 20 minutes later than I meant to, and I'm like, where did the time go? Does this happen to you often? You're losing track of time? Oh my goodness, yeah. But doesn't it happen to everyone? And is this affecting your professional life? Um, I guess so. Most days I come into work on time, or nearly on time. I get my morning coffee, catch up with my coworker Amy, I check my email, and somehow it's 11 o'clock before I get any work done. And then it's lunchtime, so I'm usually pretty stressed in the afternoons. And how are your evenings looking? Um, I keep up with my shows, perfect after work. Then I catch up with my friends on Pinterest. Facebook? Oh yeah, and Facebook. Miss Jones, do you have any other hobbies, like a book club or taking a class or volunteering in the community? Yeah, kind of. Well, not exactly. There's been this notice in the bulletin at church. They need help with Spanish translation in the kids' ministry, and I've seen it for like three weeks in a row. I keep telling myself, if that notice is still in the bulletin next week, I'm going to contact the person. So I'll have a better answer for you next time I see you. And do you speak Spanish? Yeah, I learned when I was a kid. My dad did a lot of work in Central America, so he knows it really well. And do you like children? Love them. I'm actually going to see my sister's kids right after this. I can't wait. And I have new photos of my nephew. You have to see this. That won't be necessary. Come on, he's wearing a Christmas hat in this one. Or this one. Okay. Miss Jones, mm -hmm. for the sake of your health, I'm going to speak with you directly. Do you often find yourself thinking about doing something, but just waiting for reason not to do it? Well, I mean, maybe. But it's like that saying, if a door closes, then it wasn't meant to be for you, right? can't answer that. I don't want you to be alarmed, but I'm going to refer you to a specialist. A specialist? I want you to call this number first thing tomorrow morning. On second thought, I'm going to call for you. Well, of all the deadly sins, surely sloth is the lightweight. I mean, sloth, a deadly sin? Seriously? When it comes to the other six, we get it. Uh, we know that pride goes before a fall. We know that anger too often leads to violence. We know that uh, lust destroys you from the inside out. We know that envy put Jesus on the cross. We even get it that gluttony can lead to a premature death. But sloth? Deadly? When was the last time anybody ever died from taking it easy? <laughs> Does the coroner's report ever read, cause of death, too many naps? <laughs> I mean, sloth may not get you to the top of the ladder, but it's really not going to kill you, is it? <laughs> 
I mean, not to mention the fact that uh, Americans are probably the most hyperactive people on the planet. I mean, Americans, it's true, run on Dunkin's <laughs> or Red Bull or Adderall or Adrenaline or whatever it is that keeps you going every day 100 miles an hour. We, uh, we, we work more hours and take fewer vacations than just about any industrialized nation on earth. And when we're not on the job, we're making home improvements or driving the carpool or volunteering in the community or working out at the gym. Go to any health club on Monday morning at 7 a.m. and you'll wait in line to get on a treadmill. American slothful, seriously? In fact, in a determined effort to fend off sloth at middle age, uh, Lord willing, I'll be running the Boston Marathon this coming year in just a few weeks. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Clap when I actually do it, okay? Then I'll take the applause, so. But something I've wanted to do for a long time, and after last year's dramatic events, felt like if ever there was a time to do it, this is the time. So I'm going to be raising funds for a wonderful Christian organization called the Ron Burton Training Village. It's a Christian sports and leadership camp in the western part of the state, state but it serves, been serving greater Boston kids for decades now. Um, so if you'd like to learn more about the race or the, uh, the ministry, you can read the pastor's blog on our website, and I've got an entry there to tell you all about it. But all this to say that of, of all the sins, sloth seems to be the least deadly and the least relevant. And yet, I think we can all identify with the woman we just met in the video. I mean, we all procrast procrastinate. We all daydream. We all run late for meetings or miss them sometimes altogether. We fritter away a whole evening watching TV. We spend way too much time on Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest or whatever it happens to be. We intend things that we never start. We start things that we never finish. And as a result, we disappoint and shortchange important people in our lives, and we never get around to important things, and God often ends up at the short end of our list. So maybe that's why the Bible takes the sin of sloth so seriously. Listen to these words from Proverbs chapter 6. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Now that bit of ancient wisdom is attributed to King Solomon, arguably one of the most industrious human beings who ever lived. And yet he discovered the hard way how much trouble you can get into when you have a little too much leisure time on your hands. Later on, that same collection, he makes the point more directly. One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. One who destroys? Really? Isn't that overstating the case? Well, not when you think about how many dreams have died, how many relationships have been broken, how many initiatives have been aborted, how many good ideas have never seen the light of day simply for lack of effort. And so maybe it's time 
and we took the sin of sloth a little more seriously. So today we are wrapping up our Lenten journey through the seven deadly sins. It's been a bit of an uncomfortable journey at times along the way as we have allowed this ancient tool to be a kind of diagnostic imaging machine exposing the dark recesses of our heart. We've discovered that all seven of those sins are lurking there in the corners of our souls and that they are in fact robbing us of joy. They're ruining relationships and if they go unchecked, they'll wreak havoc in our lives and in society. We've confronted all of that, but we've also along the way found, found help and healing and hope for overcoming these kinds of things. And so we're going to finish up the teaching part of the series today so that next Sunday on Palm Sunday we can uh, have a little, uh, one of our dramatic monologues getting ready for uh, Easter week. But the series really isn't over until Holy Week because our sacred spaces and our Good Friday services are all designed to help bring to conclusion this journey through the seven deadly sins and lively virtues. So today, let's turn our attention to the sin of sloth, which ironically, we have put off until last. So we'll take our usual approach, we'll spend a little time understanding what it is and why it's so deadly, but then we want to get to the solution side and uh, talk about some virtues and healthy habits. So what is sloth and why is it so deadly? Well, it could be when you hear the word sloth, you think of that three-toed mammal famous for hanging around, literally, moving slowly, and sleeping about 15 hours a day. Which brings to mind another mammal of the five-toed variety, <laughs> which often does the same kinds of thing. The dictionary defines sloth as reluctance to work or make effort. And then it adds a variety of synonyms, laziness, idleness, sluggishness, apathy, lassitude, lethargy, languor, and torpidity none of which look good on a resume, by the way. <laughs> the ancient word is the Latin word acedia, equally unbecoming sounding, which means lack of care. But we're most interested in the spiritual dimension of sloth. And so to get at that meaning, we have to go back to the Desert Fathers those monks of the 3rd and 4th centuries who tried to escape the evils of the world by going out to the wilderness to live in monasteries. To their dismay, they discovered that the evils of the world followed them into the wilderness because they were lurking inside their own hearts. It was those desert fathers who actually came up with the seven deadly sins and profiled them. So they described sloth as the noonday demon. They discover that in the middle of the day, when the sun is high and metabolism is low, it's difficult to focus on prayer and study. It's easy to look out the window and let your mind wander and wonder what life might be like in some other monastery or maybe back in the world again. In fact, listen to the words of one of those fourth century monks. His name is Evagrius, and he writes, the demon of acedia attacks the monk about the fourth hour, 10 o'clock or so. First of all, he makes it appear that the sun moves slowly or not at all, and that the day seems to be 50 hours long. Then he compels the monk to look constantly toward the windows to want to jump out of his cell. 
And further, he instills in him a dislike for the place and for his state of life itself, for manual labor, and also instills the idea that love has disappeared from among the brothers and that there was no one who cares for him. It leads him to a desire for other places and to pursue a trade that is easier and more productive and adds that pleasing the Lord is not a question of being in a particular place. So you see, there's a lot more to sloth than, than a case of the afternoon sleepies. When sloth strikes, it can cause a person to quit their vocation, to abandon God's call on their lives. Now, as the years and the centuries went by, spiritual masters continued to probe and confront this deadly sin. In the 7th century, Pope Gregory designed, described sloth as taking the easy way out and avoiding hard things. Aquinas defines sloth as a lack of appetite for God. A.W. Tozer described it as spiritual complacency and unwillingness to grow in our faith. Peter, Peter Kreeft, a contemporary theologian, helps us to understand that in our modern world, sloth isn't just about laziness, it's also about busyness. He says the workaholic can be just as slothful as the couch potato because in his busyness and distraction, he or she is no longer paying attention to things that really matter. Now, I realize that none of us are monks that I know of, and yet this demon called sloth still sneaks in and lures us away from better things. It sets our minds to wandering when they should be focused. It causes us to think about being somewhere else instead of being present where we already are. It persuades us to, to stay on the couch or to sit in the pew instead of getting up and doing something. It preoccupies us with trivial things like, say, March Madness or... That latest viral video of the cat driving a tractor in Texas. Now, is there anything wrong with watching a basketball game on a rainy spring afternoon? I don't think so. But what if, what if we were as attentive to our Bibles as we are to our brackets? What if we follow the sayings of Jesus as intently as we follow our Twitter feed? What if we prayed for our friends on Facebook instead of just checking to see what they had for dinner? Sloth, it sneaks up on you. The essence of it is captured in a medieval painting by an artist named Hieronymus Bosch. Shows us a man dozing in his chair in the middle of the day with a pillow under his head in front of a cozy fire with a little dog curled up around his feet. A nun stands next to him offering him a prayer book and rosary beads, but he is not able or willing to wake from his slumber. He'd rather snooze than spend time with God. It brings to mind the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here he is facing the greatest test of his life. His soul is sorrowful to the point of death, and so he asks his friends, his closest friends, to keep watch with him to pray with him and support him in these moments. He goes off to pray, and he comes back, and he finds them sound asleep. 
He says, could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Twice more he asks them to keep watch with him and twice more they can't keep their eyes open. Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. All he asked of them is that they would care enough to be with him for those few minutes, to stay awake, to be on the alert, to pay attention to what he was going through and what was happening around them. But they couldn't or wouldn't do it. And as a result, they not only missed the chance to be with their Savior in his most intimate and needy moment, they also failed to strengthen themselves for the test that was to come their way. Who knows how Peter might have responded if he had strengthened himself in prayer instead of taking a nap. How many moments with God have we missed? How many good things have gone undone because we're too busy or too distracted or too lazy to pay attention? You see, the other sins, lust, greed, pride, envy, anger, for the most part, they are sins of commission. We think or feel or do things that we know hurt ourselves or others. So we get that they're deadly. But, but sloth is the sin of omission. It is failing to think or feel or do something good or right or important. So you see, it's not just about falling asleep during your quiet time. It's about making excuses when God prompts you to do something. Well, I don't know, this, this is not a good time for me. Oh, I, I don't have that gift. I don't know, they might think I'm weird. It's the sin of putting things off until the opportunity actually slips away. The sin of wanting to be somewhere else instead of being present fully where we already are. The great commentator Derek Kidner puts it this way. The slothful person deceives himself by the smallness of his surrenders, so by inches and minutes, opportunity slips away. You see, we haven't really done anything wrong, but we fail to do something good, something that might have changed a person's life, something that might save a person's soul. And maybe that's why they call it deadly. Now, I was happy to be uh, off the hook last week as Pastor Jim got to confess his struggles with greed and envy. So uh, I was actually listening from Watertown as he preached that powerful message, a message I wish I had preached. <laughs> and just to let you know how very shallow I am, when he was pointing to his head and talking about envying my memory, I was envying his hairline. I'll take that. So let's move on from greed and envy and talk sloth for a moment. In my life, sloth typically shows up as busyness or distraction versus sluggishness. I tend to be more of a hyperactive kind of a person. I like to keep going. 
And I'm a morning person, so getting up in the morning to spend time in prayer and study is not so much of a struggle for me. I've been doing it my whole life. I grew up with some great role models. My mother, as I came down every morning, she'd be there sitting at her table with her coffee and her Bible. Evenings, I could hear my father praying through the bedroom door. So it's been a habit of my life for a long, long time now. What is hard for me is being fully present in those moments, for being fully focused on that time with God at the beginning of the day. Because my mind always wants to race ahead. You know, maybe I should just check my email first, you know, to get it out of the way. If, if I check my, my day time or my planner, then I can pray my way through the day, right? Maybe instead of encounter with God, I'll do some study for this week's sermon just to get a jump on things. It's hard just staying put and staying focused. No time to check my prayer list today. I'll just go by memory. No need to journal today. I'll, I'll reflect on the, in the car on my way to work. No need to pray out loud today, Lord. I'll just pray silently. Ten minutes later, I wake up with my head on the couch cushion. Karen and I had some plans for this Lenten season that we're going to do. We were going to do a little daily devotional together, and we're going to use World Relief as a wonderful online devotional. And uh, we got off to a good start and had some great times uh, with those devotionals, very challenging and inspiring. But I'm embarrassed to say we, we didn't do it more often than we did over these past 40 days. And, and I wonder what insights and challenges and encouragement we might have missed because of that. For me, sloth is the thank you note that I meant to write. It's the friend I still haven't called. It's the neighbor I still haven't invited to church. Sloth is the half-written article. It's the unfinished project. It's the unfulfilled promise to do lunch one of these days. And while the simple diagnosis would seem to be a lack of discipline, the truth is it's a lack of devotion. And devotion is what I'd like to offer as the corresponding virtue to sloth. Now, since this is our last Sunday, let's do a quick review of our chart. And each week we've tried to offer both a lively virtue and then a healthy habit that will get us there. So if you remember, the virtue corresponding to pride is humility, and it's the practice of worship that gets us there by reminding us of who we really are before God and in Christ. For the sin of anger, the corresponding virtue is righteousness. And prayer, passionate, heartfelt prayer, helps us get there by allowing God to show us the right thing to do with our anger. We exchange lust for love and gluttony for centeredness when we practice fasting and feasting, learning to say no to lesser things and celebrating the good things of God. We move from greed to contentment when we practice generosity, breaking the hold of money on our hearts, and from envy to joy when we cult cultivate an attitude of gratitude for God's goodness to us. And so today I'd like to propose the lively virtue corresponding to sloth is devotion. Now I tried a couple of others first. I went with courage at first. That's the traditional corresponding virtue. Courage and is not bad because often we don't get around to doing what God asks us to do because we're afraid. Afraid we might fail, we might be embarrassed, it might take too much of our time. So it could be courage. But that, it seemed a little too narrow to me. 
So then I was working with diligence for a while. That's a good word. Grit your teeth, try harder, put your nose to the grindstone, persevere, that sort of thing. And while certainly diligence is important, it seemed a little too duty-bound, a little too human effort, too, too much focus on human effort. So in the end, I came around to the word devotion, devotion. Because devotion implies both affection and action. Affection and action. Remember that word acedia, which means a lack of care? Well, devotion is the opposite of that. When you're devoted to someone or something, you care enough about them to do something for them. It's about being and doing, affection and action, love and labor. So if devotion is the corresponding virtue, how in the world do you get there? How do you get from being distracted to being devoted, from laziness to love? Well, I'm going to suggest that the healthy habit is attentiveness. Attentiveness. And by attentiveness, I mean making our way through the day with our eyes wide open, our ears wide open for whatever God might be saying or doing, and making our way through the day with our hearts and our hands ready to respond to whatever opportunity comes our way, to just, to just act on it when God puts something on our, on our hearts. So attentiveness is about having eyes and ears open to what God is saying, heart and hands ready to do what He asks of us. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What a great response to the sin of sloth. Wake up, man. Open your eyes, woman. Stop sleepwalking your way through life. These words were probably an ancient hymn, a praise chorus of the church, asking God to wake them up and to grow them in their faith. It's about passion, desire for a fullness of life in God. But then that attitude gets translated into action. Be very careful then how you live. Not as wise, but as not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Notice, be careful, not care less. Seize the moment when God prompts you to do something, do it. Don't stumble through life like a drunkard with your senses dulled and your reactions slowed. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Be moved by the Spirit. And when the Spirit moves, follow, go, stay, do, speak, give, love, whatever the Spirit asks you to do. I mean, that's the way to live with passion and devotion to something important. So attentiveness is really a collection of different habits. One of them, chief among them, is that habit of spending time each day with God in prayer and Bible study. We call it daily devotions, and it's powerful. There's no better way to tune into God, to hear His voice, and get direction and energy for the day than to spend some moments with Him alone. Now, let me just give you a little tip if you've been struggling with this and keeping that up. Remember that it's not about duty, it's about relationship. So when that alarm clock goes off in the morning and you're having a hard time getting out of bed, don't just grit your teeth and say, gotta go downstairs and read my Bible. 
remind yourself that someone's waiting for you downstairs. Someone who loves you. Someone who wants to hear what's on your heart and speak into your life and send you into the day with power and grace and hope. He's waiting there for you every morning, evening, noon, whatever, waiting to be with you. It's about relationship. And when you do finally show up, he never says, where have you been? He says, so glad you're here. Let's spend some time together. And so there's the habit of daily devotions. There's the habit of Sabbath. There's nothing wrong with taking a rest. Nothing wrong with taking a nap. God decreed by law, once a day we rest. We cease working so that we can attend to him and attend to the people around us. So ideally, your Sabbath includes a time of worship with God's people and then spending time with the most important people in your life. But Sabbath isn't just about that one day a week. Sabbath is about creating little moments, times and spaces in the course of a day or a week or a year when you just stop and cease and be in God's presence and attend to what's happening. You can do that any day. It might be a cup of coffee in the, in the middle of the day or the afternoon. It might be a walk after dinner. It might be journaling before dinner. It might be taking a weekend just to get away. It might mean vacationing on purpose as a family. Every once in a while, I try to create a little time and space for moments like this. Typically, when um, I'm outside somewhere, to just stop, and I, and I pray a simple prayer. Here I am, Lord. Is there anything you have to say to me? Here I am. Is there anything you have to say to me? And then, and then I just wait. I, I might take a walk, or I might sit quietly. I might read scripture or sing a song. I might just look at the stars or listen to the wind blow. Sometimes there's nothing, but sometimes there's something. Sabbath is about creating moments in which God can meet you. But Sabbath isn't just about being and attending. It is also about doing and putting into action. Now, I do want to remind us that we have a wonderful opportunity to do all of this as sacred spaces is coming up during Holy Week. If you have never learned exactly how to attend to God, sacred spaces will teach you how to do it. We, we take a Sabbath for Holy Week. We stop almost every program at Grace Chapel except CR, I think. Everything stops. We turn our campus in Lexington and Wilmington. We turn them into retreat centers, and we invite you to come for a couple of hours or once a day for that week and just visit some stations for some self-guided time with God. If you have never learned how to do that, I promise you, God will meet you in those sacred spaces. And when he does meet us, when he does speak to us, then we turn from attitude to action, from being to doing. And so when you care about something, you act, you react when you realize what they need, what they're asking of you. So attentiveness is about about cooking that meal for someone. It's about sending that letter to someone. It's about visiting the hospital where a friend is. It's about joining that life community. It's about volunteering to serve somewhere. It's about finally doing what God's been putting on your heart to do. Every year about this time, I'm sure we all have people on our minds we would love to invite for Easter. People we know and love, we care about. People we'd love to, to know Christ in a more personal and powerful way. And so we carry those names in our hearts. And we, we mean to invite them. But 
You know, things happen. We forget to pick up extra invite cards when we leave. We put off making the phone call or dropping by because things are too busy. We, We chicken out because they might think we're weird or something. And then we find ourselves sitting here on resurrection morning, so moved by the music and the message and wishing our friends were sitting beside us. Don't let that happen this year. Ask God who he wants you to invite. Make the phone call. Send the note. For a few years now, Karen and I have been thinking about starting a a Bible study in our neighborhood. We've been living in the same neighborhood for 14 years. We've uh, raised our kids with a handful of families. We have uh, helped each other shovel driveways through snowstorms and, you know, shared at soccer games together and all those sorts of things. Most of them have some kind of Christian background, but some are active in church, some are not all that active. We've always thought, wouldn't it be great if we could get to know our neighbors better and, and uh, spend some time studying the Bible together? But for years now, we've always found a reason not to do it. Too busy, it's not a good time, too much going on. We just talked about it, prayed about it, planned it, never actually did it. Well, this year, during this Living on Mission series, I've been especially convicted about starting that Bible study. And I managed to put it off all the way, halfway through the year. But as we came to the season of Lent, the Lord just impressed on me, if ever there was a time to offer a Bible study, it's the season of Lent. Why not just extend the invitation? So we sent invitations out to five couples in our neighborhood, inviting them to a neighborhood Bible study for the season of Lent. A week went by, and we heard nothing. I sent a reminder email and left a couple voicemails, and finally we heard from two people. They both declined. The first week of Lent passed, and nothing happened. We were really about to say, it must not be God's will. And then Karen providentially bumped into one of the women in the street. They had a really nice conversation. She shared some of their trepidation around a neighborhood Bible study, but said, you know, we think we'd like to try it, and we hope our husbands will too. And so we started. We met together twice in their homes, sitting with our neighbors, studying the Bible together, getting to know each other in ways we never have, and having wonderful conversations about who Jesus is and what he means in the world. It's been the most wonderful, wonderful time. My only regret is that we waited so long to do it. And I shudder to think how close we came to missing it. I don't know what God might be prompting you to do these days, but the very first thing he's prompting you to do is to spend time with him, to attend to him, invite him to speak to you, and then to act through you. And we're going to have some wonderful opportunities to do that these next couple of weeks as we move from sloth to devotion by practicing attentiveness. In fact, we have a wonderful opportunity to do that this morning as we finish together around the communion table. A few moments to attend to God and each other around the gospel message. Let's bow in prayer as we prepare to do that. We thank you, Lord, for this time and space this Sabbath, this quiet time, this rest, and for meeting us here, speaking through your word and your spirit and our brothers and sisters around us. Thank you for this table and your invitation to spend time with you. Meet us here, we pray, in these next moments. In Jesus' name, amen.